Morning, church. I invite you to join me as I read our scripture today. This is a healing miracle from Jesus, and actually, it's the text that inspired the Amazing Grace song that we just sung. John 9, verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva and he put it on this man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Lord God, we just pray that this would be a word for us today. We pray that we'd understand it. We'd understand its context and its meaning and also its application to us. God, we just pray that, we just wanna acknowledge right now that some of us are blind. All of us are blind in some way. And we need you and we want you and we ask God that you would help us to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I love that song. So I love fishing. And one of my favorite things to do is to wander into a a bait and tackle store. Uh, sometimes uh, joy will just lose me. I, I see one and I just wander in because I love to just walk the aisles. And one time I was doing this at one in Sacramento uh, when we lived in Davis, and uh, I stumbled into a class. They were, they were teaching a seminar on how to catch steelhead trout. If you don't know, this is a, this is a very large trout species that actually uh, goes back and forth between the ocean and fresh water, and they, they come up the rivers in California uh, chasing the salmon. They like to eat the, uh, the salmon eggs as they're trying to, trying to lay them. And, and uh, this class, this, this fisherman was really excited and, and explaining to us uh, all about how, how to catch them. And, and one of the things that the tackle store is very careful to do is, is, to, is to have these seminars in which they highlight all the bait and tackle you need to buy in order to go catch these fish. And so he's, he's describing the, this wondrous experience of catching these steelhead trout. And if you buy this and this and this, and, and this is what you do. And uh, I left that store with all the right hooks <laughs> and all the right little floaters and the, and the lead line and, and, and fresh salmon roe uh, to be kept in our refrigerator, you know. I even bought the, the, the hip-high waders, the rubber, they're like rubber pants that you put on that have boots attached to them and because I, and I, I, and that way you can walk out into the water. I left with everything and, and my directions, what I was gonna do. And I brought a friend with me and we went out to the Sacramento River when the guy said to go out there. And, and sure enough, there's this line of, of men out there waiting in the water and I, and I joined them. There's 15 men standing in our rubber waders across the river trying to catch these fish. And sure enough, these giant salmon 
are like, they're like this big. You're not allowed to catch those, but they're there trying to reproduce. And they're like swimming around our feet. So I'm like, we're in the right place at the right time, you know? And the steelhead are going to be out there. And, and we start casting. There's 15 of us in the line. 14 of us did not even get a bite. I was in the 14, if you weren't, if you didn't guess that. I mean, we're out there for hours, uh, not a bite. But there was this one guy that over and over again kept pulling in these big, beautiful steelhead trout. And he would he'd just pulling them in, and, and uh, he, he actually was letting them go. So maybe it was the same fish. I don't know. It was over and over again. <laughs> but just over and over again. And, he was, it was the, and all the other 14 of us were just enraged with jealousy. Like, how is this guy doing this, right? So I did what I always do. I, I kind of, you know, find my way over to the guy who knows what he's doing. And I'm like, hey, man. So, like, what's your secret? Okay. Now, what I wanted him to say was, oh, I've got this special hook or I've got this special bait here. Let me let you borrow some and then you'll catch the fish. That's what I wanted. That's sometimes happened with me, okay? Uh, but no, he goes, oh, the secret is you've got you've to read the water. I'm like, okay, all right, how, how do I do that? He's like, all right. So what you're looking for is a hole behind a riffle. I'm like, all right. It's like, you got you to gotta read the water. I'm staring at the water. He's trying to explain to me. And he's, 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 he's trying to give me his eyes for the water. And he's like, see, this is what happens. And he's explaining to me about the fish. They like to hold in these like holes. And, and there's this, you can kind of see the holes because the water. And he, he's describing this to me. I cannot see what he sees. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling stupider and stupider. He's just, he's, he's, and he's getting more frustrated with me. He's like, look, you got to like see the rift. He's like, what you're looking for is, 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 is the second hole past the third riffle. And dude, I don't, I don't know what a riffle is. I'm too embarrassed to ask. Uh, is it similar to a ripple? I don't know. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm so, I just, he's getting frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. Eventually he said, oh, I get it now. I get it. Yeah, I didn't get it. So I just go back to my futile casting and 14 men get stuck. But the man who can see the water and read it, he's the one who's able to catch the fish. Now, our scripture today, Jesus encounters a man who's born blind. And there's going to be this miraculous healing, and, and we're, going to, we're going to study that. We're going to look at that scripture. But as in all the miraculous signs in the Gospel of John, there's like a deeper spiritual meaning that's being taught in each of these miracles. And in this deeper uh, uh, thing that's being taught, Jesus specifically describes being the light of the world. He's going to call into question the sight of people who can see. The Pharisees, the disciples, other people who, who, who claim to be able to see. He's going to call into question, do they actually see? You know, are they, do they actually have eyes for this life? Eyes for God? Eyes for the deeper reality of the spiritual realm? Uh, eyes for what's really happening, or are we actually blind to those things? And Jesus, even in the healing of this blind man, he's also teaching and offering to give us his eyes so that we can see the world and the universe and ourselves as Jesus sees. Lord God, we just pray again that you would give us these eyes. Amen.
Let's walk through this, uh, this scripture together. And I'm just going to slowly walk you through this entire chapter and just be kind of pointing things out along the way. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 9 or you can follow along on the screen. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, shouldn't Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this is the, the, the outset of the story. So one thing I want to point out from the beginning, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels because they look the same, they emphasize different things when it comes to miracles. So if you read a miracle story in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, what you're likely to see at the beginning is a description of Jesus being moved with compassion for somebody. Right? Jesus is moved with compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. This word compassion is often the, em- the emphasis in the stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's not the main emphasis in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is emphasizing the power and the glory of Jesus and the deeper spiritual meaning that the signs point to. That's the focus of John. But you do have some glimmers of this compassionate heart Uh, that do show up in the story. And we see it from the beginning of Jesus' initiative. And it's interesting. There's a lot of symbolic language. The language in John is so, so intentional. And it's not an accident that the first words are, Jesus saw the man who was blind. Not he encountered him, not people brought him to attention, not the blind man approached him. Jesus saw the man who could not see him. Begins with Jesus noticing, seeing the man's predicament. And you're going to see that when other people look at the man, they see something very different. All right? So, so the, the vision of Jesus when he sees the blind man, what he sees is different than the other people in the story when they look at the same man. And that's going to be a clue to us about this new vision that Jesus could bring to us. So throughout the story, there's these different groups of people, and every group of, uh, of people has a different question. And essentially, the disciples are the first ones to ask a question. They're asking the question, why? Like, why did this happen? Why is it that this man was born blind? Why did that happen? Now, it's phrased as a who, because their assumption about the why is this must be a divine punishment. That's their theological framework. It must be that God is punishing this man for sin. So that's, that's framing their why. And it just, we just don't know who uh, is the, is the, are the people that actually did the sin. But essentially it's like, help us understand the reason for this man's pain. Now, let's consider this, this way of thinking for a minute. This, this way of, when they look at the man... They see fault. Oh, he's suffering. Oh, he's blind. Well, there must be fault, either him or his parents. It's kind of a cold way of thinking. Now, it actually it corresponds, I think, pretty closely with uh, the idea of karma from many Eastern religions, religions, the idea that somehow the, the good or the evil that you do in this life, it's going to come back on you uh, for good or for evil. 
But the Old Testament actually has a similar way of thinking. God is described in the Old Testament uh, not as an impersonal force of karma, but as, a, as an actual personal force who acts as a great leveler at work in the world for justice, to punish wrongdoing and to reward righteousness. We see this in the book of Exodus, near the beginning of the grand story, in which God is described as merciful and merciful to thousands, but he also says he doesn't leave evil unpunished, but will punish the sin of the father to the third or the fourth generation. And so we, we get this idea of, of God leveling the playing field and, 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 and punishing and rewarding, and, and also this idea of generational sin, that, that the sin of one person is gonna, could have an adverse effect on, on their children or their grandchildren. This, this thing is passed down. But people came to take that idea of God as the leveler in the world and apply it as though every piece of suffering must be attributable to the act of God. Like God is causing all suffering. And there's actually a number of parts in the Bible, such as the book of Job, which call this into question, really, can you really identify all suffering is sent by God? And so we have this open question. Yes, God is at work in this world. But there's this question that's, that has root in the Old Testament, certainly Jesus brings up now, that we cannot then look at suffering and say, ah, fault, ah, this must be just in some way. We have a world in which the world is out of control in general. Sin in general has brought suffering into the world in general. But the disciples, they, they operate by this karma-like view of the universe. They see suffering. They instantly think fault. Why was this man born blind? The only two things they can imagine are he sinned, which is a little bit funny, right? Because he was born blind. But uh, the, the Jewish uh, rabbis actually had a, a conception that you could sin in the womb. <laughs> I don't know which sin that is, um, but it was, the, the, it, was, it was possible. Or was it his parents? Ah, it must be... His parents. And so th th this belief, what, 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 what came to develop is a spiritual and social stigma for people who had an infirmity. Right? If, if the guy's born blind and people think, oh, it must be a punishment from God, therefore there's added to his burden. He already has a burden of blindness, which affects him, makes it so he can't work. It says later that he's a beggar. Uh, you know, there's not all the accommodations. Braille hasn't been invented yet. Like the world is difficult for a blind person, uh, more so than even today. And, uh, and, but on top of, of, of the burden from his physical infirmity is added this social stigma, oh, you are less than, and a spiritual stigma, oh, you must be cursed by God. God must not like you to have done this thing to you. And think how that must feel to his parents. When people see this, uh, oh, your child's suffering, oh, God must not love you. God must be angry with you. That's this, this belief. And the disciples uh, just assume this. So God, Jesus, who, which one was it who messed up and led to this suffering? And the first healing that Jesus does in the story is not the physical act of healing the man's eyes. First, 
Jesus repairs the man's reputation. First, Jesus heals the people's theology. First, Jesus removes the spiritual stigma on the man. He says, neither this man or his parents' sin is a result of this. But this happened that he may display the glory of God. He's not cursed, he's blessed. He's not a castaway, he's chosen for glory. And I'd like you just to, just for a moment, before we proceed with other scriptures, before we go to the physical healing, to just ask of yourself, how do you identify yourself? How do you conceive of yourself? Do you see yourself as cursed, as outcast, as less than? If so, I, I just want to clarify for you, those are the words that the world speaks over you. Jesus has different words. He says blessed. This is an object in which God's glory may be displayed. I'd just like to encourage you to let the, the words of Jesus rule over you rather than the words of the accuser, rather than the words of the world. Then comes the physical healing. In verse 4, it says, As long as this day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's this running parallel that we see in this story and also in the Gospel of John at large between uh, blindness versus sight and darkness versus light. And you can see the, the obvious like connection. If you don't have light, you can't see, and it's like you become blind. And so into this, into this uh, story about blindness, Jesus begins to speak about darkness and light, and there's a darkness coming, but while I'm here, while I'm here with you, I am the light of the world. He's sent by God with a mission to bring, to bring light and illumination, to let the world see something they cannot see without him. And we're going to see a miracle, but we're also going to see a teaching about this greater work that can be done in us. This, this blindness to sight, this darkness to light that Jesus can work in us. Let's, let's first consider this, the physical nature of this. Um, I've, never, I've never been blind before. Um, I've had friends that are blind and, and sought to kind of try to understand it. Uh, the closest person in my life that, uh, that went basically blind was my, my grandmother that I just uh, love and admire. And all through her 80s, she had macular degeneration and just slowly lost her sight. You know, it became just more kind of cloudy in the front and she kind of eventually just had peripheral vision and, and just eventually lost her sight entirely over a period of many many years, and so I would kind of check in with her about it and be along for the journey, and, and at, one, at, one, at one point, kind of earlier in the, in the, in the journey for her, of her journey to blindness, she was, she was still driving, and she used to have this cabin up, in, uh, up near Truckee, up in the, the Sierras, and she was driving down the mountain, it's kind of a steep uh, decline, and, and she got pulled over for a speeding ticket, 
And this was kind of shocking for us because like, she's such a law-abiding citizen and we just think of her as kind of a slow driver. She's a slow eater. Everything she does is slow. So how did, how did my grandma get a speeding ticket? But you know, the, 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 the hill when you're going, if you're, not, if you're not watching your speed, it really can carry you and you can start going fast. And she tells me the story and it was just so hilarious to hear her tell the story. She was like, yeah, the policeman walked up to me and said, he was, I think he was surprised to see an, an old woman driving the car. And, uh, and he says to me, uh, uh, Ma'am, do you, I was trying to pull you over for a while. Why didn't you pull over? She's like, oh, I didn't see you. <laughs> ma'am, uh, ma'am, do you have any idea how fast you were going? And she said with indignation to the officer, I can't read that speedometer. <laughs> As though that was going to be a great excuse. She's like, you can't hold me accountable. I can't see of course, as you can imagine, this, uh, this event ended up leading to eventually her losing her license as she couldn't pass vision tests. And turned out my grandma was going 90 miles an hour on a curvy mountain road, unable to see the speedometer. The family finally had a conference and together we came to the unified conclusion that perhaps people should help more moving her around from place to place. But along the way, you know, I, I watch as my, my grandma, who, you know, just an uh, just amazing lady, she, she, she lost uh, certain freedoms in her life, right? She lost the ability to drive. That's a hard thing. You know, lose some sense of autonomy, right? My grandma was the best cook ever. I mean, she used to make these amazing, huge Thanksgiving feasts, you know? I just love going to her house and just eating her food, uh, but, you know, when you can't see, that's more difficult. There's all these moments where she couldn't see expiration dates on, on, on things, and which led to other problems, and, you know. And, 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 and she, you know, she just couldn't do a lot of things that she loved to do. She, she loved to read, and she could no longer read at one point and had to switch to audiobooks, and which, which she, she had a great spirit about it the whole time. Just all of this journey has such a great attitude. But I also just noticed, I mean, that must be hard to have these things that you love to do and then slowly you kind of discover the experience of blindness in which there are some limitations. Now, I, I just wanna just go do through a little exercise for us as we try to imagine what this man in the story's life must be like who was born blind. Okay, so I'm gonna do something. i just give you fair warning. I'm about to darken the room, okay? So if anyone needs to go to the bathroom, you should do it right now because it's going to get more difficult later. But if you wait, it could help illustrate the story. So we're going to take the lights down now, and I just want us to just kind of step into the story. All right, some of you are cheating with your cell phones. Turn those off. <laughs> Hope I don't walk off the end of the stage. So I'd like us to just, as we sit in the darkness, by the way, if you're online and you're just tuning in, we're not having technical difficulties. This is, this is intentional. But I'd like you just to imagine this man's world he was actually born blind. And so maybe his whole world was a little bit more like this without the exit signs, you know? And I'd like you guys to just imagine right now your life. Uh, if, you, if this was your sight, or even kind of, kind of worse than this, if this is just how your life was all the time, how would you physically get to your cars after the service? How would you prepare your meal later today? How would you care for your kids or know when they're doing something mischievous? 
if you have a job that you're going to go to on Monday, tomorrow, how would you do that job? If you have a place that you like on vacation, how, how would you get there? And then what would you experience when you're there without sight? What movies couldn't you watch? What books couldn't you read? How would you operate your phone? So this man who was born blind was very limited. No braille, no ADA. This is a, a difficult thing, and he's unable to work, and so his life is confined to, to begging. And then, and, then, and then he encounters this man who sees him. He doesn't see this man. I'd like you to imagine that this man comes up to you, and you hear this. He hocks a loogie on the ground in front of you. You see him rustling around the ground, and his hands touch your eyes, and he puts mud, which you know to be made of his spit, on your eyes. And he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. What do you do? How do you get there? Do you know the way? Do you stumble along the way? Do you trust a stranger who you've never met? But what have you got to lose? And you've got mud in your eyes anyway. You need to wash off. And so you stumble your way across town, maybe asking for directions, getting a little help along the way. This muddy-eyed blind man who's never seen a face in his life, who's never seen the sky or the sun or a bird or a sunset before, never seen the face of his family. You stumble along to this pool where this man tells you to go and you wash off the mud and you open your eyes and you have a completely new experience. You see for the first time, can your brain take it in? Can you process all the signals, all the information, all the different colors that you are receiving? But you see people, and you see birds and you animals, the things you've heard and smelled your whole life. You see the sky, you see clouds. For the very first time, we can kind of slowly bring the lights up so that uh, it doesn't literally blind everybody. Imagine that you see, for the first time, what would that be like? Wouldn't that be amazing to see Man, it's getting bright in here. Was it this bright before? Jeez. It's an amazing moment. And remember, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a symbol of something Jesus wants to do in our lives. Now, in the face of this incredible miracle, the people around start asking all kinds of questions about it. They're like, what is going on here? This guy's been blind. I've been watching this guy blind his whole life. He's been begging. And now look at him. He's opened his eyes. He's like looking directly at me, making eye contact for the first time, probably rejoicing. Here's what happens. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. And others said, nah, he only looks like him, right? These are the people who can see, doubting their own sight. That can't be him. It just looks like him. But he himself says, no, 
I'm the man. I'm that guy. I was blind. I can see now. Now the disciples ask why. The, the, the neighbors now ask how. This is a, a group of engineers. They want to know how did the miracle work? Explain to us the recipe used in the healing mud so we can replicate us. Talk us through the healing process. So verse 11, he does. He, he tells the engineers, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went there and washed and I could see. And this next piece is kind of funny. They, 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 they ask him which way Jesus went. Well, where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. He didn't see which way. This is the first time he's ever been asked which way did the guy go. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't see five minutes ago. Why are you asking me that? But they're obsessed with the how and the where. The next group of people is the Pharisees, and they're totally obsessed with the when. They're, they're, they're upset by the when. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud in his eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This is a running battle, right? Jesus won't follow their rules. And Jesus is not against the Sabbath, by the way. He's against the way that they've ruined a good thing. So they're mad he doesn't uh, follow their rules. It says, but others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Verse 17, they, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, well, he must be a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. They're, they conduct a trial about his healing to his parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. You know the term CYA? It stands for cover your assets. You guys know that story? This is what's happening here. They are looking out for themselves. It, says, you tell, it tells us in verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They're going to be kicked out of church. They're going to be removed. They're going to be shunned. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They're like, well, yeah, I don't know, ask him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, and this, this is where we get the song Amazing Grace uh, that we sung earlier. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see Verse 26, then they asked, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? He's getting tired of telling the story. He's like, could somebody be excited for me that I can see? He's like, I've already told you, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, do you want to be a disciple too? Now that really makes them mad. They, they don't like that. They don't like that at all. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and they say, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. 
And the man answered. Now he's getting a little saucy with him. Emboldened by his new sight, the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he come from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, listen to this. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Did you cast that piece? What, what does that mean when they tell this particular guy, you were steeped at sin at birth? What does it mean? What are they doing? They're, they're, they're calling on that karmic belief that if you're blind, it must mean that you're a sinner and that you're bad and that God punished you. And so the curse which Jesus is removing from him, they attempt to put back on him. You were steeped at sin from birth. You're out of here. And they, they sort of excommunicate him. They kick him out of the synagogue. They throw him out like a bum. You're out of here. You don't belong in here. Go away. When the disciples saw the man, they saw faults. When the Pharisees saw the man, they saw steeped in sin at birth. When Jesus saw the man, he said, this is, this is a man loved by God an object specially set apart to display God's glory. So Jesus goes and finds him. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, this is another part where we get the amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see is the finding of this man. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the no longer blind man asks the best question in the story, who? He says, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Remember that the man never saw Jesus earlier in the story. He was still blind and the mud was put in his eyes and he had to go away. So when he was healed, Jesus was long gone. He's never seen Jesus before. He never saw the man who Healed him. Who is it, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said in 37, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The disciples asked why. The crowd asked how and where. The Pharisees fretted about when. But the healed man asked the golden question, who? Who is this man that I might believe in him? And that's essentially the question that the Gospel of John puts to us with every miracle, with every story, with every bold claim from Jesus, every promise of eternal life, every, every claim to be the Son of God, every, every person who, who couldn't walk but could walk. Every time this happens, the Gospel of John puts in front of us, who is this man? You have to decide in your heart, who do you believe this man to be? Now, to just to kind of paraphrase the rest of the story, the Pharisees uh, are frustrated with him again, and, 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 and they're like, what, do you think we're blind? Are we blind too? And the implication is, yeah, actually, you're pretty blind. You can see physically, but there's some things you don't see, Pharisees. There's some important things you're missing. You have the law, you read the law, but you're missing the spirit of the law. You're missing the love of God. You're missing the identity of Jesus and the hope that is before you. So yes, the Pharisees 
are shown to be actually the people in the story who are blind. Now, the story is humbling because I think as we do some soul searching on the story, we have to realize that, in fact, all of us are blind in some ways. There's some things that we simply do not see. We make judgments that are not correct. We think thoughts that are not true. We say things and think things, observe things that are not kind. The story is also hopeful. If Jesus can make a blind man see, he can do something in us too. He, the light of the world, can give us sight. Now, that, that image of the light of the world, it kind of, imagine it like this. I don't know how much you've studied the way that sight works, but essentially what we're receiving is the, re, the reflection of light. Like light, the sun hits something and kind of bounces back and then our eyes like receive it. So our eyes are receiving the, the, the reflection of the light off of various objects and textures and, and colors. And so that's why the, the sun goes out, all of a sudden everything is gone. Well, in the same way, Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. I can give you my eyes. I can shine in, in the world in such a way that you can see it differently. I can turn a blind person into someone who sees, someone who's spiritually blind into someone who spiritually sees. And then we who are Christians, we who are disciples of Jesus and receive Jesus as the light of our life, we begin to see the world by his light. And we see everything differently. He gives us his eyes. Just like that fisherman was trying to teach me to read the water. And I'm staring at the same water as this guy, but I just cannot see what he's talking about. I cannot infer what's beneath it from what I'm seeing on the top. But Jesus can teach us to do that in our lives. And if you've ever seen the videos of these people that are colorblind or, and, they, and they put on these special glasses, like, wow, I see color for the first time. Or they have some vision impairment, they put on some device, or they have some surgery, and then like, the world is open to them. That's the experience that we have when we come to know Jesus. And sometimes there's an instant thing, sometimes it's just a slow and gradual thing. But let me just close by reflecting, what, what, what happens when we have the new eyes of Jesus? If, if he's going to do that miracle in us, and we pray for that miracle to happen in us, how do we see differently? I, I'm just thinking about this in three categories. The first one is that we, we see God differently, first of all. We begin to see the mercies of God every day. You know, instead of just the, the, the problems of the world, we also see God at work in, in, in the way that it, through creation, through the love and the blessing of other people, through, through speaking to our hearts, we see God is actually at work loving and blessing us every day. God, Jesus gives us eyes to see that. And I think Jesus also gives us eyes to see ourselves rightly. The Pharisees, they, they thought they could see, but they were blind. And Jesus gives us eyes to actually see who we really are. And, and we see, I think, essentially two things at, at the same time. One is we see, you know what, we're, we're sinners. We're, we do evil, we do wrong. Uh, we've got... Uh, things to repent of. We've got growth to do. We, we see ourselves truly. But then we also don't see that as cursed or discarded or condemned because we also see as loved. God loves us. God blesses us. God redeems us. And so we can hold those two things together. Yes, I've failed. And yes, I'm loved and treasured and made for a great purpose. And then finally, we see other people differently, right? 
The Pharisees, the disciples, they looked at the blind man and said, false to blame, steeped in sin at birth. But Jesus saw a man, a man loved by God. And I think this will happen for us. We, we, um, I was talking with DJ earlier this morning. He was giving me some examples of this, I think, in maybe his life and others. Is imagine you're, you're driving on the freeway and there's that, that slow person that's frustrating you because they're slowing down your lane and you're thinking judgy thoughts. I know you are because I do the same thing. Okay? We're, we're thinking judgy thoughts about the person who's going 50 on the freeway, right? But, but maybe Jesus is going to give us eyes to think maybe that person's preoccupied with uh, some, some worry about their child. And they're just, they're, their mind's a little off uh, because they're just, they're just thinking about some burden in their lives, okay? If they're going 90, it might be someone like my grandma, okay? <laughs> or maybe somebody in the grocery store is super rude to the, you know, the checkout person. You're just like, this person's an evil person. Why would they treat someone? But who knows the, the calamity that has, that's befallen them the last month to bring them to such a state or how they were treated as a kid. We, we start to see with the eyes of Jesus, we start to see beyond the, the bad behavior into the pain that they have endured. And I think it gives us compassion. And then our prayer changes from a prayer of judgment. Oh Lord, take away their license. Whatever. So, oh Lord, would you bless this person? Whatever pain they're carrying, oh God, would you, would you care it with them? Would, would you let them know your love? Would you, would you show me how to love them? Oh God, this person I'm frustrated with, this person I'm falling blame with, would you give me your eyes for them that I might love them as you love them? Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your eyes. And none of us sees perfectly. Lord, but we just look to you, the light of the world, to give us your sight. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Uh, it's so great to just have you in this, uh, in this space and those of you who join us online. Uh, if any of you would like prayer, we have a team here uh, that will be right down over here. If you guys want to hold up that sign so they can find you easy. Uh, this is the prayer area. They'll pray for you about just anything going on in your life. And if any of you are new uh, to the church, uh, I'd love to show you around. I'd love to meet you and show you around. So you come right over here for Taste and See, and I, I'm your tour guide, and I'll walk you around uh, the place and show you different rooms, introduce you to some different friends of mine, and, and, and you can eat some good food and find out about kind of just who we are and, and, and about that. And so we'd just love to have you. If you're new, come join us. We'll feed you. Uh, for the rest of you, I just want to uh, send you out with this, uh, this blessing, this benediction. So... May the Lord God, who sees all, see you. See you in all your pain and all your blindness and all the social or spiritual stigma that you carry. All the words that you've absorbed into yourself, he sees you. And though you can't always see him, may you know that he sees you and that he loves you and that he blesses you. And may he give you sight. May he give you sight to see who he is, who he is to you, who he is to the universe. And may he give you sight to see with his eyes. May you go in his name. God bless you.